Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Host by Tori Show. I hope you guys are having a great week. I love springtime so much, and today we have on one of my favorite creators and entrepreneurs in the wellness space, Sif Hader. Sif is a co-founder of Array, a digestive health company, and hosts the Dream Bigger podcast, where she focuses on talking with people who can help you live your best life across wellness experts, skincare gurus, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. Sif started Array three years ago with her husband, Nish. Their products are 100% natural supplements to help with bloat, sleep, calm, and heartburn, and their entire mission is to help women feel their best to be their best, which I love. As her passion project, Sif has her weekly podcast, which I am also a big listener of. She gives actionable advice and tips on how to improve productivity, daily habits, and overall routine, which again, I am a big fan of. So let's get into what we actually talked about. We talked about how Array's obsession with the customer has led to their success, influencer marketing and the shift in consumers' understanding of the current market, four books that are essential for understanding marketing tactics, how Sif's entrepreneurial spirit moved her to pursue her passion, how alcohol can fit into a lifestyle that is still focused on wellness, and the concept of why we need or feel like we have to justify not drinking alcohol. I hope you love this episode as much as I did. If you do love it, I would be so grateful if you gave me a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Now let's get into it. So everything related to Array and what you've built and what I've listened to you is the obsession with the customer. And so what I want to hear from you is your perspective on when you decided to launch Array and you knew that this was a problem because of your health struggles and you knew that this was a problem for others, what did you look at for your target audience in terms of like having that customer obsession and knowing that your product would resonate with them? So I think when you're starting a brand, you have to go beyond just yourself. So yes, like I think a good brand is built when it's based on the founder's need. However, I think it's really important to also triangulate what you're thinking with additional data. So what we did was that we we kept hearing about the fact that people were bloated and anxious specifically like they were all struggling with digestive health issues and it was really impeding on people's ability to enjoy their lives you know so the common concern was oh you know i go out with my friends and give me a second i'm gonna turn my slack off is that all good yes i'm so sorry that's so annoying and so unprofessional of me okay um So something we kept hearing was that, you know, anytime my friends or people that I knew would talk about food, it was like, oh, you know, I'm so bloated that I have to go home and unzip my pants instead of like actually continuing my night or I'd go out on date night and, oh, I'd feel like so unsexy after because I'd be so bloated by just the one thing that I ate. So there was that piece of data that we had. And then beyond that, we were like, okay, from a medical standpoint, what is the data point? What are the data points that we have? So we spoke to a bunch of doctors and what we found out was that not only was digestive issues extremely common amongst women specifically, men as well, but women specifically, but also that um, anxiety and bloating were often two issues that went hand in hand. So Mm -hmm. I think that it goes beyond just gut feelings. 
And then after that, when it came to the brand architecture, um, we, we had just an innate obsession with our customers because for me, coming from a creator background, something that I would notice was that every time I'd get like a PR package, number one, if I saw a note from the brand or something personalized, I just feel like, oh, they, they went through the extra trouble. Secondly, when Mish, as someone who's not a creator and not from this world, would open one of these packages, he'd get really excited about it. And so my whole thesis was that I wanted to bring that experience that an influencer gets from a PR package to all our customers. So just making them feel like they were at the center of our story, which they absolutely were. And, you know, I like both Nish and I are extremely grateful to our customers because they are who have built the brand and we knew that they would right from the start. So um, I, I hope that that answers your question, but that's kind of how we went about looking at things. Yeah. I think it's interesting because the consumer in this day and age is always demanding more. They, they want to feel special. Every consumer facing brand needs to make the consumer feel like all of their intention and focus is on serving them. And so how do you feel like you're able to keep up with that in terms of like what they're asking for, keeping up with what is going to feel relevant, what's going to make them feel special? Like, what are you looking for? Is it trends that are happening? Is it feedback from your customers? What exactly are you looking for so that every time you're, quote, talking to that customer, they are feeling like they are being spoken to by your brand? So number one is, I think, always an open line of communication with Nish and I. So I think that something that we've done, which is maybe a little bit unique, um, which we've seen a lot of really top tier brands do, is that I think the customer knows that they can access us at any time. We're not these like untouchable, invisible people who are leading the company from the top. We're like in front of them. They can reply to emails and, um, you know, say like, oh, this is for Sif and Nish or respond to our newsletters, which comes directly from us or reach out to us on social. Like we have a lot of avenues for customers to be able to access us directly. And that's something that we did right from the beginning because you know, for the longest time, it was Nish and I in our DMs. It was Nish and I answering customer service emails. It was all customer service calls going to Nish's cell phone. So I think that we just always opened up that um, pathway of communication. And I think it's just a smart thing to do because you're able to react to what your customer needs. And instead of like shooting around in the dark, being like, oh, like we think that this is the product to do because it's trendy. Instead, we've always been responsive to what the customer's needs are. And um, like we can see like, okay, like what are up and coming trends based on what the volume of people that are in our community are telling us, right? So Heartburn was a great example of that. Um, We launched our Heartburn capsules in February. And the reason we did that was because we kept hearing over and over and over and over again that I love bloat, but it's not helping with my heartburn or I take Pepsit every day for my heartburn. I wish that there was a natural remedy for that. Oh my God, my dad has heartburn. What natural thing can I give them? And I was like, why does nothing like this exist in the natural world? And if it does, like, why is it so unsexy? And so that was like a direct response to our consumers. And then beyond that, when it comes to kind of staying relevant in our consumer's mind, I think always putting them at the center of marketing. So I think we've seen this shift happen whereby 
I would say for the last 10 years, brands were pouring marketing dollars into influencers. It was all about the influencer. However, with the rise of TikTok, there's been a big democratization of who is the influencer. And so I think consumers just kind of became pissed off and over the fact that brands were dumping all of these dollars towards influencers when in fact they were the customers and they were not getting anything. So with us, what we've always done, I think a little bit different is the fact that no matter what initiative we have or campaign coming up, we have always a customer focused um, uh, like part of it. So for example, we this this last month we campaigned around bloat okay it's just something we wanted to push in marketing a little bit more and so we did this bedazzled bloat like willy wonka style giveaway so we kicked it off with um an event that we had at our house that was like for influencers we had like a dinner and then after that we like sent mailers to a select group of influencers which had a bedazzled bloat in it okay yep. and then from there we actually extended it out to our cus- our customers and we had this like Willy Wonka style giveaway whereby we selected 20 orders of bloat to replace the regular bottle of bloat with a bedazzled bottle and mm-hmm. on top of that they would get a 3 month supply of bloat on us So we have things like that going all the time. We have an ambassador program and they often get access to the PR mailers that we'd send to influencers. So it really is always thinking of like, okay, like what is it that we're doing for our community every single month? Yeah. And that's the stuff that ends up going quote viral, right? Because you're then gifting to the actual consumer, which is totally totally disrupting the traditional influencing approach. Um, I guess, and you you kind of spoke to this, I think, at the Dear Media event, but like influencing as we know it has changed very much over the past three years. And to your point on like money being spent and poured into certain influencers, the consumer has learned, the consumer now understands um, if someone is really enjoying the product or if someone is getting, quote, only paid for this product and pushing affiliate links and depending on how much the they actually like trust that influencer. And so- um, what is your, because from what I know, your product was picked up very organically by by very big names. And yes. uh, that really helped kind of accelerate the brand awareness around your product to begin with. But now yes. you're able to choose certain influencers. And so what are you looking for? Because I know it's not just the follower count anymore no. and um, the rise of the micro and the engagement. And so Tell us a little bit around how you think about choosing people to promote your product. Is it that, oh, we saw influencers organically doing it, and so then we wanted to to pay them more to actually spread the word? Or, like, talk to me about your process because I feel like you're very more – you're very methodical around that versus just, like, anyone sign up for an affiliate link and here you go. So I think number one is has someone spoken about us organically to begin with? Like, do they like the product? Where are they within our – brand story like where do they fit in so that's number one so um i think a really good case study here is melissa wood since i brought her up in uh in um, my conversation at the, the geomedia irl event so melissa was gifted to in the early days of our brand okay like i'm talking i think i gifted her within the first week of launch about five weeks after she received the product she posted about us organically And when I had sent her this product in my email, I had made it very clear that I actually like we're a brand new brand. 
we've put our wedding money into it and we have no money. Um, and I wish that I could pay her for, you know, like a partnership in the future. But at this point, I have nothing. But I hope you'll try it. And I hope that it changes your life because I think that it will. Wow. That was it. That was the premise of the, the email. It was expecting absolutely nothing in return. Nothing. I just felt like this was something that was going to help her. And then she started posting about us. As soon as we saw that she was um, bringing in revenue, I was like, I, I want to pay you for mm. like what you've done for our brand. It's very much like a give and take in my mind, right? Like I very much value a creator's work. I value their influence. Yeah. And as soon as I had money to give back, that's exactly what I did. And with someone like Melissa, we've actually continued our partnership with her. What This is year three. We're in 2023. We started partnering with her midway into 2020 as soon as we had like a little bit of money to spend and it was all like recycled you know it yeah. was like whatever she brought in we like gave back to her yeah. if that makes sense and that's how we've um structured influencer partnerships if you will like we take on five paid partners and they're typically if not a year long four or five months typically it is a year yeah typically it's multi-year if i'm being honest and We've had um, cases of influencers actually like investing in our brand. Lauren wow. is one of them. She ended up investing into Array because she loved it. And there was such an organic partnership there. So um, I just think being really intentional and finding your why behind why this influencer, do they genuinely like the brand? Um, do they represent what we stand for? Do they speak to our audience? All of that. And um yeah, I, I think also being selective and not having to go wide. Like yeah. we, we don't need to contract 30 different influencers all posting one time each because it doesn't really do anything. It's not compelling enough for consumers to actually make a purchasing decision if that's what they're seeing. Yeah. It seems very like um, surface level, if that yeah. makes sense. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I, there are a couple of brands, I am very, very subscale and this is just something that I like doing on the side, but I have some brands that'll reach out to me like non-alcoholic um, options and they'll be like, Hey, do you want to do one, one TikTok post for us? And I'm like, no, like I, I don't because a consumer doesn't want to buy something off of one TikTok. They want to buy something because you're repeatedly talking about how much you like it. And I don't know if you've tried Gia, uh, but it's I like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's so it's a bitter aperitif. They have spritz cans and I've been obsessed with it ever since I started this journey they don't pay me anything. Like they'll give me product from time to time, but I just talk about it so much because I think it's such a great product. And people who are delving into the space who think that mocktails are just sugary um, juice drinks, I want to talk to them about these options. And so I can, I would imagine, and I, I did have affiliate for a little bit, but I would imagine that the amount of people who are trying Gia because of how much I repeatedly talk about it is so much more than me doing one paid small post for a brand because it's like not repeat usage. And like, I've talked to brands about that concept, but it's really interesting how they want to approach it too. They think, yeah, you'll do one TikTok, go viral, make us a lot of sales. And it's like, that's not exactly how it works. Um, on a quick question on marketing, because I know that you're a huge book person and I love honestly getting your book recs in general. And I love like the Wednesday Potter, Potter book, like Q and a, um, as someone who doesn't have a marketing background, like I have a finance background, what resources, I know you're way more of a creative, but like what resources do you look for f 
for go to market in terms of like how you approach it? Or is it just something completely different, like talking with other people about it? Like, where do you get the inspiration for it? Um, it is 100% through books. I would say everything that I have learned um, or that I learned to go to market with, like all of those strategies was typically from reading or prior experience in my life. So um, some great resources are How to Build a Story Brand by Donald Miller, Blitzscaling by Reid Hoffman, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Like these are all, it's like a mixture of like three different books that I've given you. So how to Build a Story Brand is very much rooted in really good branding. Oh, another one is by Jonah Berger. Berger, I don't know how to say his last name. He's a Wharton professor and it's called, I'm like actually pulling up the name because it's, it. it are you familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's work? Yes. So he is, he writes like Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. And it's called Contagious. Okay. The book is called Contagious. The author is Jonah Berger. And what I find really interesting about his work is that while it is not marketing specific, all the case studies are applicable to a brand's journey. So mm. the book Contagious, it goes through several, several case studies, all in different areas of how things have quote unquote gone viral, the, hence the name Contagious. So yeah. this is an excellent book if anyone is really looking to delve deeper into like understanding what makes for virality, what are the different things. Like, for example, in it, there's an example of a speakeasy, like why that speakeasy, you know what I yeah, mean? There's like totally. a science to it. So that's a great resource. Building a story brand, as I mentioned, it's great for understanding branding, marketing, all of that. Um, Blitzscaling by Reed Hoffman, excellent read because I think it allows us, um, like us as in like anyone who's really wanting to get into product, um, the product brand business yeah. to carry over tech concepts into how they do things. And lastly, Good to Great by Jim Collins is a very interesting read because I think oftentimes people try to troubleshoot once things have already gone wrong within the company and like their ethos and how they've built the team. But Nish and I read a lot of these books even before our team had really grown. So we knew what kind of culture we wanted to bring. Mm. We, we just knew a lot of like basic concepts, which allowed us to, I think, build like a strong team. Um, to have like a very clear cut definition of who we were as a brand and who we were bringing in. Um, so all four of these books are excellent reads, which I recommend to everyone who's going to market. Amazing. I Those are really helpful. And I think the interesting thing is how valuable those resources are, even if the way the channels you go to market are different now, it's the concepts and practice, Absolutely. which I think is really interesting. It still gives it that longevity. Um and then the thing that you say about culture, which I think is fascinating, is like the concept of being just an individual contributor at a point in time versus a manager and a leader and the actual culture you're able to build because um, those skill sets are very different, right? And like um, the concept of how you hire, who you hire, um, that piece of it I feel like is underappreciated in the entrepreneur world because it feels like you are doing everything at the beginning, but then how you scale past that is based on the team that you have in place. So I feel like that's um, that's really interesting. The uh, the piece that I wanted to talk a little bit more a little bit more on that I've heard you speak to is being an entrepreneur, and not that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but that you had a passion that you felt so strongly about that you wanted to do this because of 
that, not necessarily the business side. And I think that any entrepreneur I hear says, if you want to be one, then there, there's like a question around that because it's so much work. You are your own boss. There are not benefits. You have limited money. Like there is so much that goes into it. And so I'd love for you to just expand a little bit more on that topic, kind of any way that you want to take it. So I have by nature always been very entrepreneurial, but I was also not in a rush to go work for myself. Like I wasn't like, I'm going to graduate college and I'm just going to create something. Like that's not who I was. It was for me, like I was always very purpose driven. So, um, you know, I think the through line for everything that I've done is I want to make a difference in women's lives and help them feel like the best versions of themselves. And it's kind of how I've done everything like whether it be um the first job that i had which was in fashion i was really interested in it because i found that if i could help people figure out how to dress themselves or like you know dress for their body types like i just found that fashion was like a confidence booster for me and i really wanted to help translate that to people as well um and i was just very interested in it and i've also been like a very creative person as well that's the other through line So when it came to starting and after that, like, you know, when I went and became a creator full time, I had my blog and um, then I went on to start a podcast and all of that as well. It was again, like, how do I give people the best information that I can to help them be the best, best versions of themselves? And Array has been really the very much the same theme. And so for me, like, I was never someone who was like, I'm after the life of an entrepreneur. I want to be an entrepreneur because it's going to make me rich or I'm going to be notorious or I'm going to be known for this or that. It was very much purpose driven. And so I think, and I feel very strongly about that because when you start a business, you are inherently going to have a lot of bad days. And what keeps me going on those bad days and always have such a half, like glass half full perspective is the fact that I feel like I'm genuinely changing lives with what I'm doing and having that at the back of your mind always kind of gives you perspective and makes you realize that it's nothing that you can't figure out and it's not that bad. So, um, that's kind of how I've viewed entrepreneurship in, in my life. (laughs) Do you have like a folder of reviews or emails or of people saying your product or like what, what is that like tangible thing that you look at on that bad day? And at the beginning when you didn't have those, what kept you going? I don't think I need external. Like I don't have to keep looking at things like that's Mm. not who I am. It's just, I know. And I've always, because every day I'll get a DM or I will get an email or I just know because I've, I've heard enough and I've seen enough. Like I know what we're doing. And even before that, it was just a trust and like, obviously a belief that this product is going to change lives. Like even before I had one customer, I just knew that that's what it would do because it that's what it did for me. Yeah. And I just simply wanted to bring it out into the world. So I know that it like that tangible thing that you said, which is like have a folder full of reviews and emails. I know that it helps a lot of people. For me personally, I didn't need that because I just, I, I know based on like con- conversations that I constantly have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I feel like there's different types of people too. Like totally. I'm someone who's, words of affirmation need external validation. And that for me is like so crucial to keep going. Is that your love language? Words of affirmation? Yeah. Okay. So that's last on my list. Really? That's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting how for like different people, right? It feels 
kind of completely different in that sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the purpose and why, and, and like there were things brought up this past weekend around, I hear people so often saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do these things. And for me, I've had a corporate job and I've always had a lot of, I hate the term like side hustles, but I guess they're like passion projects. And, uh, it's not like I want to do this, right? Like, do I want to take part of my Sunday, like think reaching out to podcast guests, like editing, do it, like spending all of that time. Do I want to do it because I want like a side hustle? No, it's like, this is a passion to me to feel like I'm talking about this subject to other people. And to your point here, when I get the feedback, that is what I'm like running off why I'm doing it. It's not because I want the like side hustle piece of it, if that makes sense. Um, And also, I think it's something that lights you up. And it's like, also evaluating like, oh, like, I wish I'd had this information, or like, I wish someone had done this for me. You know, I feel like even just that is like your sense of knowing. Totally, totally. Um, On just one, one, like last business question for, I think you have four ish categories right now, anxiety, stress, bloat, heartburn. No, I mean, close. Yes. Um, have bloat, calm, sleep and heartburn. Okay. Okay. So you have four kind of categories right now that you're focused on. How do you think about the trade-off of continuing to push your existing categories versus launching a new line? And I know you talked about the heartburn one around just like customer feedback, and I'm sure you're a very customer led company in terms of like how you actually go through product development, but the trade-off on ramping an entirely new product that you're gonna have to spend a lot of R&D in versus like building existing kind of market share, gaining market share in the other categories. So our focus as a category is digestive health and everything that we've done around messaging and storytelling is digestive health focused. So for example, like with um, Calm, we've always said that there's a big link between anxiety and digestion. When you're anxious, your body goes into fight or flight, making digestion really difficult. And so calm plays like an important role in overall digestion. Same with sleep. You know, when we're not getting enough sleep, our leptin and ghrelin hormones are off. And so that leads us to overeating, not understanding hunger cues, um, reaching for things that aren't necessarily the most nutrient dense, having cravings. So there is like a big link there too. Um, similarly with heartburn, heartburn is a product that is actually like very important in the digestive health piece, right? Because why do you have heartburn? It's because your stomach yeah. is like, you know, there, there's like an acid issue. It's like too much acid, right? So it's, it's all about like piecing it together. And I think like, you know, we, when it comes to new products, we're kind of like very slow in study. We are going in, we launched in 2020, we're going into our four, we just completed our third year as a company. Congrats. We, thank you. And we only have like five products. You like yeah. we have um, our bitters product, which is gut boost. Again, you take it prior to eating, helps you with digestion, but we have, we've released five products in the span of three years, which is like unheard of. Like it's so slow. And that is because we understand that R and D takes time. Mm-hmm. We also understand that, um, education around ingestibles is just different from fashion. Like there's no education to be done around a cute top or a cute dress, you know, whereas ingestibles, it's like someone is 
trusting you with their body. And like, you have to explain to them why this is a product that's good for them, how they should incorporate it into their lives. So we can't be like, like too quick when it comes yeah. to drops, you know? So that's kind of how we thought of like launching and kind of how we've done things. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, and I like how there's the umbrella digestive health. Everything is related to that every product that you're building is always connected and related to that just in different facets. Um, Yeah. And I think for um, all like entrepreneurs or maybe people who want to get into this world who may be listening to your podcast, one piece of advice that I can offer them is that when you're launching, launch like niche, like don't launch with 10 different products because your storyline gets very lost. We launched with Bloat and Calm and that's all we talked about for a full year and a half before we released anything new. Our yeah. like our first product launch since launch was in July of 2022. So think about that. It was like a year and a half into our business before we launched a, like a third product. We launched with two and like, you know, the third product didn't come until a year and a half into the company. So it allows you to really... Um, like narrow in on your like brand story and number two it helps you save um like costs as well when it comes to like keeping these large orders for inventory yeah I think that I think the the point on the slow and steady is interesting because what you see from a lot of brands which is different and I think your point around uh I don't know if you use the word digestible or um what the exact term is but uh educating the consumer whereas for things like uh, Hill House drops or crumble cookies or things like that, where you're like, you don't really have to educate the consumer on like a cookie flavor or like, a color of a, a dress, but they're very much like drop oriented, like the limited, the limited drop and hyping the consumer. And I think as I've watched that, I think it's really interesting because as a marketing tactic, it works because of the limited piece of it, but then you're always playing kind of catch up on like what's that next launch like like people are always looking for what else is there and I'm no expert but as a consumer I find it interesting to see like at some point do they want to say no more like we're not doing anymore we're gonna have like a steady state whereas like what you're saying is by having such a uh, a product set that stays the same way and is known by your customer and requires a lot of education this has actually been like a really great approach from what you're doing yeah, I mean, look, it's different across categories. Yeah. Like I fully understand the drop model for different categories. Like for fashion, it makes a hundred like if I if I owned a fashion brand, I would do drops. I think it's the smartest way to keep a consumer excited, ensure mm-hmm. that you have high retention because people come back and purchase other things from your company because they're excited by what's new. Um, but with us, our category is just inherently different. It's the same way that Like, I don't know, for a skincare brand, like, I don't want a retinol drop. Like, if that works for me, like, I want to use that retinol for life. Like, imagine, like, your favorite beauty brand launching this, like, life-changing retinol, and they're like, just kidding, no more. Like, what? You need a top up. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, Okay, let's get into alcohol, because your whole goal is making women feel their best. And the idea of wellness with alcohol and how that fits in. I would love to expand on and hear your view given the holistic mindset that you have and a little bit more just like generally on your relationship with alcohol. So maybe you start with your relationship with alcohol historically and not as like it's a good or bad thing, but just like how you've experienced it. 
So um, I obviously, like everyone else in college, I was out at the bars and the clubs and pre-drinks with my friends. Like all of that was very much a part of my college experience. But when I graduated, um, a couple of years after that, I started my blog. And um, that what that required was that I would have to also dedicate my weekends and time off to like, you know, my, my blog and what I was yeah. doing on the side. And I think going through that journey helped me understand what was and wasn't working for me and like what did and didn't help me feel like my most optimized self because um, I didn't have a moment to spare, quite frankly. And at that point, you know, when you're in your early 20s, like I don't think you understand really like what moderation is with alcohol or I certainly didn't you know I'd be out late I'd be out till like 4 or 5 a.m sometimes with my friends like it was just like regular shit that you do in your 20s yeah of course um and so the next day I'd be exhausted like kind of hungover if I wasn't hungover it was just like a lot of like fogginess and I'd gotten into the habit of like you know I had a full-time job and I was waking up at like 5, 6 a.m. to work on my blog before work and then again after work and then on weekends I'd have to wake up early to do the same. And so something I realized with alcohol was that it just wasn't working for me anymore. I'd wake up anxious. I'd wake up foggy. It wasn't serving me. And also I didn't understand why I had to um, depend on an external thing to help me be social. So I decided that I wanted to take a break from alcohol. It was going to be a month. It ended up being like four years that I didn't have a sip of alcohol. Wow. And yeah, like four years, I didn't need it. I were like not even need, I didn't want it at all. And just, it just kept going. You know, I was like, oh, I feel great. I don't want it. And I just realized that I didn't need it as a social lubricant. I was very much like someone who was, um, like a social butterfly. Mm -hmm. I thrive in um, group setting situations and I just didn't need anything to help me. Um, how did, how did, uh, pe or when people asked you if you drank, what did you say? No. Okay. But and did you say, you just said like, no, it's not serving me. Like, um, I think like maybe something along the lines, like, I don't even remember. It was yeah. just, you interesting Tori like I've had this conversation with people and I know that like I think at the beginning it was like yeah I'm not drinking right now anymore like you know I was in my early 20s still yeah. early 20s and people were like oh but why not and I was like I don't know like I have to wake up early tomorrow morning it was it was always like just like that and then people just got used to me not drinking it was like a thing that like Sif doesn't drink and that's fine like I would still go out to things that I wanted to go out to. Was I the friend that would be out till six in the morning? Never, because I simply didn't have to find anymore. And, um, you know, something I realized was that if you're out with your friends and you're sober, after 2 a.m., like people aren't even coherent anymore. So being the sober friend, it's like, why am I still here? Like, let me just go home, get my full nights of sleep and I'll feel great tomorrow. So I think people were just like understanding. And I think also it helped me develop my confidence in mm -hmm. just being true to myself and my choices and not really having to explain myself because like initially it was like, obviously, oh, like I had to give an explanation, but over time, like, I don't know, like after the first year I was like, nope, I don't drink. And like, I didn't, I would explain, like I would, 
I would say why to people if they asked me, but I didn't feel the need to go into this defensive place where it was like something that weird that I was doing, even though back then it wasn't like a movement hadn't started, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the, the, the challenge and in, in what you're getting at and what I like asked you is that people think that they need to justify themselves and how do we get away from feeling like there has to be a justification for not drinking alcohol because of all of the things you said around feeling groggy, not serving you, having to wake up early. Like there's still a part of society and culture that I don't fully understand on why we feel like we need to like justify. And I don't, I don't know if you have the answer, but it's something that I think about a lot for, and and I know people struggle with, they feel like they have to go into this whole like monologue of crazy, you know? So I think what I started to do over time was, oh, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Simple. And what what are people going to say to that? You know, yeah. but like, why don't you like it? Like, it's yeah. like saying, I don't like, I don't know, Coke, like, co- like diet Coke or like not cocaine, obviously. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Like, I don't like soda. If someone asks me, do you want soda? I'm like, no, I don't like it. And so I don't need to go into this deep explanation about why I don't like it. It's just a personal choice. And so- yeah. I think that right now, thankfully, we're at a time where it is normalized or starting to be normalized. Mm-hmm. Where people, a lot of people are choosing to go down that sober route. And fact of the matter is, whether alcohol is or isn't a part of your life, it is a toxin. And you shouldn't have to explain why it is or isn't in your life. Like, it's just a personal choice. And I think people should come to terms with that. Yeah. And so the concept of, of wellness that I struggle with to an extent is that you see people who eat really healthy. They, uh, you know, work out to a certain extent, they get enough sleep, but every night or on the weekends, they're getting blacked out. And it's some, for some reason, like that piece of wellness isn't considered as much. And I know the like paradigm is kind of shifting here in terms of how people are thinking about it, but like, how do you view alcohol now into a lifestyle that is focused on wellness and like holistic well-being um, and choosing, you know, when you want it or not. And just like, how do you think about it? And not to like demonize it at all, but I'm just interested given that it is a toxin, how in like moderation you think about it. So I'm someone who has gone like after I started, like I restarted drinking here and there, like, you know, the reason was because I wanted, I think, to enjoy a glass of wine. We were traveling somewhere and I really wanted to try it. And um, since then, it's like, I'll go months without drinking again, because I don't need it. But for me, if it's like a really nice glass of wine or a tequila that I like, I'll try it. But it's like dessert for me, you know, like I, I know sugar isn't great for me either. But I haven't cut it out entirely and I'll enjoy it if like a piece of chocolate cake that I really love comes out. Doesn't mean I'm having it every single day or three times a day. It's like I'll pick and choose the occasions in which I want to indulge or like enjoy that part of life. So I view alcohol the same way. Um, I'm not a heavy drinker because I think after going through that experience, you kind of have like a much more balanced relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to socialize. I, I just feel like it's something that I enjoy on occasion because I like I like the taste of something or like, you know, I'm having a nice dinner and I want a bottle of wine, which I'm going to share with my friends. 
But, you know, for example, like I'm out a number of times a week, either with friends or networking events or whatever it is. And I choose not to drink most of the time because again, like I don't feel like it's a necessity to speak to people or anything like that. And just because it's there doesn't, and just because other people are doing it doesn't mean I need to do it. Yeah. So I think it just puts the choice on you and um, yeah, it's like, it's really about figuring out whether it even fits into your life. If you can have a balanced relationship with it, what does it mean to you? Yeah, no, I, uh, I totally agree. I think what really resonates with me is like the moderation piece, similar, similarly to the knowing sugar is bad for me. I love dessert. I also love trying new restaurants. I also love eating healthy food. I crave healthy food. Ooh. I crave how I feel, but I have to live my life. I have to lean in when I want it. And, um, I think if you go and approach too far one way or the other of the spectrum, that's also not healthy depending on like your relationship with, with all of these different things. And so I'm very much in the same camp as you on enjoying it when I want to enjoy it, but not feeling like I need it because it's there or if it's free or if it's included, I'm going to have it because of that. Whereas like I would have just done that uh, historically or if I was at dinner, I like always would have gotten a drink, you know, um, yeah. and it's just a mind mindset shift. Yeah, I think that's something I've realized about health and wellness and kind of my relationship with it is that I think being dogmatic about certain things doesn't necessarily serve me because you feel then attached to doing or not doing a certain thing because your entire identity is rooted in that. Yes, yes. And I don't want that. Like, I just, I want to be me as a person and make choices without it being attached to my entire identity. Like, I, I just feel like they need to be two separate things. So something I realized when I was not drinking, like when I did decide to start drinking, people were like, oh my God, like give us an explanation. Is your life falling? And I was like, this is just crazy. Like, and that's the thing. Once you attach labels to whatever it is you're doing, it's almost like you have to keep doing the thing, even if you want to change it or try something new. And totally. so- I'm no longer dogmatic about what I do in any sense of the, the like anything that I do. So yeah. that's kind of been my experience with health and wellness as a whole. No, I like that. I like that. I'm aligned. Okay, Seth, let's do some rapid fire to end if that works. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. If someone had to describe your hosting style in one word, what would it be? hosting style for interviews or no well actually I do like that for I like that for interviews I'm also so interested in like how you come up with your with your um interviewees but just like you're having people over you are having like a dinner party or you're having people over for just like drinks or apps or things like that like how would you describe how you are as like a hoster welcoming welcoming like I feel like those are my two things where I, I like to make people feel like, I don't know, just chill and happy and very at home whenever I have them over. Totally. You don't want them to be like stressed because you're like stressed no. out running around. Um, what is your favorite drink, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic or both? Water. Really? I hate water. <laughs> I hate water. You're one of those? <laughs> I'm one of those. Like I cannot drink water. I need like sparkling. I like cannot do it. Okay. Water. 
I had a doctor's appointment the other day and he's like, how are you doing with water? And I like, I had my bottle with me and I'm like, I do about 10 of these a day and oh. I would do more if my stomach could physically handle it. I love water. I okay. Can't like what brand, like you're, say you're at the airport, you don't have your water bottle. This is like not sustainable, but like what water bottle would you buy? Uh, um, maybe Voss. Okay. I'm like not, I'm not picky. I just want my water. Like I'm not a water snob. I just, if I'm hydrated, I'm happy. That's so funny. I think the reason why I don't like water is because I'm one of those like bathroom people too. Like I have to go multiple times during the night. Like it's a whole thing. So anyway, <gasps> TMI. Um, what is your favorite type of get together? Uh, intimate at someone's house. For I, like dinner. That. I love that. And then do you prefer to host or be hosted? Host. For to host. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. So let everyone know where they can find you and Array on all the handles, websites. If there's anything they should be looking out for, anything you want to highlight. Um, you can find Array at Array.co on all social media platforms or shop us at Array.com. You can find me on all social media platforms at Sif Hyder, and my podcast is the Dream Bigger Podcast where you can find me on every podcast app. <laughs> Amazing. Go check out Sif's podcast. It's like one of my favorites and she has on a ton of good guests, a ton of good like entrepreneur, biz- entrepreneur business tips, books, productivity, all the things. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Bye. All right. Thank you for bearing with me in my like new studio. Oh my gosh. No, you, I mean, the studio looks amazing. You did so good. You're an awesome interviewer and I'm so happy that we were able to do this. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. Honestly, like I love your podcast so much and, um, I think you have like really tangible advice and, and like the books and stuff too, which I think is awesome. And like, what I like about you is that you're building a brand and a business and you can relate that back to the podcast where I feel like some people I'm just like, what is your purpose? And that's why I really like everything that you're doing. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. Thanks so much for for taking the time too. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Cool. See ya. Bye. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. As you know, I am not a specialist and I am not trained to give advice whatsoever. These are just my own personal thoughts and conversations. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate or review the show. If you can, it helps so, so much. And feel free to find me on social channels, Host by Tori, and my website, www.hostbytori.com. See ya!